Hello, and welcome to another episode of We Live on a Planet. It is currently early in the morning or late, whatever way you would look at it, here in the fine city of Oswego, New York, right on the lake shores of Lake Ontario. It happens to be Friday, October, what is it, the 8th, I think, that I'm recording this? No, excuse me, October 6th. Friday, October 6th, when I'm recording this, and... It's been a little bit since I've recorded an episode. I've only put out two this season, season seven, after taking a short hiatus, which seemed really long, actually. And what you're listening to now is what I like to call my personal journal with a variety show flair. This past couple episodes has been more personal journal, less variety show flair. I'm not getting off that variety show flair feel or topic, uh, but right now I just feel like I'm more inclined to go towards a personal journal to let you know what's going on in my life. And the last I had talked to you, I had just gotten out of the hospital after a eight-day stint on a psychiatric ward, which is never fun. That was the 1st of September, and the 1st of September, I weighed 160 pounds, and the other day... At the doctors, I weighed 198 pounds. So in just under a month, I had gained almost 40 pounds. And that was quite concerning. My ankles were huge. My feet were huge. I have that huge health scare. I've been to the ER three times right after my uh, exit from the hospital the 8th. And in September was just a month from hell. It was terrible. It kicked my ass. And I've had some health scares, like I said, and I had to keep advocating for myself, and I'm glad I have. And you start questioning everything, you know, you're like, am I overreacting? Am, am I a hypochondriac? And you're like, well, if, it, if I was a hypochondriac, at my age, I would have heard it by now from my friends or family members. They'd be like, here we go again. What, what phantom illness did you Google today? <laughs> so uh, as it is, it's been hard enough to accept my mental health illness of bipolar that I was diagnosed almost 30 years ago. And I'm finally, the more I talk about it and the more open I am about it, the better I feel. When I see friends in the store now, I don't like lower my voice because it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just like talking about my type one diabetes if I had it. You know, what's my A1C today? You know, how, how am I checking my health? And I think once we normalize that with mental health, we'll all start accepting one another better in this society because we all have our issues. We all are given this temporary spacesuit that we're living in, trying to figure out as we go along, and all these buttons and switches might not be taught to us the same way, but they're all the same, and we learn them differently, and we might be activated differently by different situations, each one of us. So, I don't know. And so my health scare, back to my health scare, I keep advocating for myself, and I know there's nothing wrong with me. I know my body. And so I got my results from my stress echocardiogram, and I was happy to find out that they said that I there's no signs of my heart that it's had a heart attack. So that makes me feel really good. But they can't explain the high levels and critical levels. Uh, two of the blood levels I had when I was in the air were critical levels of tropopin, I think I'm saying that right, tropopin 1. And I thought it was tropopin I, 
when I saw, or it is Tropopin I, excuse me, I thought it was called Tropopin 1 when I saw it on my um, lab results because I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what, I, what it was. But when I saw critical, I'm like, well, what the heck is critical? And it's easy to Google search as long as you have the information and know how to spell it. And it was, the levels I had shows that there's been either a heart attack or there's damage to the heart being done or you've suffered damage to it. So that's concerning, but yeah, it's been kind of like, well, you passed your echo stress test and everything shows this and... And I'm like, oh, okay. And I see this thing called the Duke Treadmill score on my results. And nobody talks to me about that. But I'm like, what is the Duke Treadmill score? So, of course, I got to look that up. And I find out what that means. And mine is in the negative. It's like negative 3.5, which is not a, a good result. So it said my exercise level was good. And I didn't have any issues except for one abnormality of some heartbeat or something but nothing that concerned them I guess I did not able to get to my heart rate which was they wanted me to get to 150 beats per whatever it is and I only got to 144 and I had to stop uh, I just ran out my, my legs wouldn't work I had no energy and like I said I'm retaining all this water and I only sleep in two hours three hours tops just feeling like hell not to mention my blood cell count, my white blood cell count has been elevated and high. And it has been for a long time. And anytime I get my results back, anybody I ever talk to doesn't seem concerned, but they always tell me about it. They say, uh, did you just recently get over a cold or an infection or anything? Or were you sick? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, because your white blood count was a little elevated or a little high. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, it means your body just recently fought off something, but if it might have been so small you didn't even know it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. But that keeps to be that way, so that's concerning. And I always have high blood pressure, always. It's just always ran that way. So, yeah, I, I'm not trying to, like, drag this story out. but So I ended up, my doctor, I deal with a nurse practitioner, and I really like her, and a lot of the best health... I've ever had healthcare is from nurse practitioners and the her her boss the place that she works at is a doctor and I used to have her as my provider and she's awesome as well and she's really comparing uh compassionate and uh understanding and listens and I feel like she really observes you when you're talking like how are you breathing how are you this how are your mannerisms and not just what the tests are saying. So the test is saying this, but my nurse practitioner goes, well, would you like me to go get the doctor and have her come in? And I was like, yeah, thank you. So she came in and she was concerned just like I was and agreed that there is something going on with me. And I don't want to be right about this. I want to be wrong. You know, it's one of the humans like to be right. We, you know, we don't want to admit we're wrong. So right now I'm hoping that I'm wrong. And overreacting. But I know I need to keep advocating until I find out what is wrong and what's caused me from going to 160 pounds to 198. And they did put me on water pills, some kind of whatever it is. And I have gone down to like, I weighed myself today when I got up and I was like 191. So I've lost like seven pounds. 
And that right there just feels like so relieving because my feet, I can't even put, I couldn't even put sneakers on. I'm like, I'm 53 and my body, my mind is finally, I'm finally checking my mental health and getting that in check again because I have it in check throughout the years and then it unfortunately falls all apart and I have to pick up the pieces and that's where I am again and I feel great mentally but physically my body's like the I'm just being tested by the universe right now because there's so much going on in my life with the move to a new place granted it's only 30 minutes away and it's not like it's unfamiliar people it's unfamiliar area to me a little bit because it's not my stomping grounds but through the 20 years I've been with my wife, I've learned it. I just don't know it as well as her and stuff, but I'll learn it. And it's on the middle of nowhere. The city I live in is 18,000. The town I'm moving to has 1,500. I mean, it's going to be like, you know everybody after a little bit. But back to my health scare, my doctor decided, yeah, there is something wrong. And she wants to move forward to do the next test which is a nuclear stress test so I guess they go into your carotid artery and inject some nuclear whatever and you're not afterwards you're not supposed to be around pregnant women or kids and all this type of stuff for a while and I'm like do I want to go through all this do I want to put because if it is heart disease you know CAD cardiac artery disease or uh, heart failure or anything like that. There's nothing, it's ir you can't fix it. There's nothing you can do about it. So it's like, do I subject my body to radiation? You know, it's like, as it is, I've had CAT scans, MRIs, and x-rays countless times in my life. I'm never concerned about that stuff, though. You know, it doesn't, we get bombarded by all kinds of stuff all the time on Earth, naturally, just naturally. But to know you're making a conscious decision to say, yes, I'm willing to have you take stuff that people power cities out of. It's nuclear, you know, and I don't understand it, but I know it's something, excuse me for sniffling, but I, I still don't feel good. I might, right now, I, at least my heart is not feeling like somebody's grabbing it every second. And it wasn't every second, but just like a, a heaviness and a pressure. And I just, there's something still funky. So I'm going to a different place instead of the hospital I've been going to. It's just in my, my city here. It's the same hospital I was born in. And I used to work in that hospital as well. And my mother worked in it. And so, but it's small, you know, a lot of people just call it a little Band-Aid station because the nearest city next to me is Syracuse. And Syracuse, New York is known for the basketball team and just having a real good broadcasting school where some famous broadcasters have come out of there. And the city I live in, Oswego, the fa their fa claim to fame from their college, which is a SUNY college, is uh, Al Roker, the guy from the Today Show. He was a weatherman here growing up, and I can remember remember that. And then. Same as Mike, or Mike Tirico. Yeah, Mike Tirico as well. Mike Tirico came out of Syracuse. He's on ESPN. Okay, I'm getting all diverted, see? But my medicine does keep me on track, at least. But if you follow the show, you know I can, I'm not using any show notes. 
I don't edit my show. So like my sniffle that I just had, most people would be real concerned and say, I got to take that out. But as in life, I can't edit myself when I'm talking to somebody. And so since I'm talking to you, how do I edit it? You know, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to forget what I was saying. And that happens in conversations. We all do this where we're talking and then we kind of say something else. And we say to the person, what was I just saying? And the person goes, I don't know, even though they're listening or they say you were saying and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And you can jump back on topic. Okay, so yeah, my health med, that's or health care, that just helped me. So I got to do the nuclear med. Do I want to, though? Because like I said, it can't be fixed. And then I've done some research on if it is like where the arteries are clogged and I do have calcium buildup. They told me that, you know, so I passed the stress test, but something's still going on. And the reason why they want to do nuclear that my doctor said is because you can pass a echocardiogram stress test like I did, but my Duke treadmill score was still not good and it might not show the blood vessels that are being affected because she said they can be so small, the ones that are being affected. So that could be the white blood cell count being high. Who trying to fight that off? Who knows? I don't know how it all works. This is weird. It's all just science. And with the nuclear, I guess they can have better eyes on it and see if it is that. So, but like I said, I'm not sure because once I did some research, a little bit on stints, which you think too, well, that's your go-to. You just get a stint. It's simple. Those procedures, even though they're very invasive because you're putting something foreign in your body near your heart is really a pretty basic surgery for here in America now. It's it's not like a big thing. You You can be in and out within two days usually, I think. You know, it's nothing. Recovery time, Nothing like it was, and scar minimum, if that. You might not even see it. But the research I've done, there was a, a couple Harvard professors and Harvard doctors that are teaching doctors too that they've done thousands or studies with thousands and thousands of patients who've had stints and haven't had stints, and there's no difference in the life span or expectancy if you've had one or haven't had one. And we're all told here in America, because obviously here in America, it's all just throw medicine at it, throw, you know, just make sure we can, you know, let's x-ray, let's do this, let's do, I've been all through this and they keep telling me nothing's wrong. So it really comes down to me advocating. So we don't question anything when it comes to that kind of stuff with like a stint. You know, I don't, when it comes to other things like, polio vaccines and all those measles, mumps, rubella, all those things that we know we've helped with people and know about sickle cell anemia and all those things. Yeah, of course, I'm not going to doubt that. But just because stints, they say, is the way to go doesn't mean that that is going to prolong your life, though. And they don't tell you that, you know, because I'm sure it's better big business, you're going to get a little bit more money if you can put a stint in somebody, but you don't say to them, well, it's, you know, minimally invasive. It seems invasive, but the stint is going to make you feel better. You're going to feel 20 years, 10 years younger. 
you're at 40% blockage or whatever they tell you and they put it in and you do feel better. You're like, holy cow, I didn't realize how much that was affecting my health. But it doesn't all of a sudden instantly add five more years. And I thought it did. I thought, well, once you get a stint, everything's, you know, you're kind of back to normal. Well, it, studies have shown that's not the case. And if you're diagnosed with it, and if that is what you have, it is what you have. It's just going to, the stint just alleviates the unwanted, terrible symptoms, but other things can treat that as well. With just simple exercise, even though exercise is so hard to do when you're in this state that I'm in, I get winded just going upstairs. And that was never like me. I'm an asthmatic and I have been my whole life and I've had bronchitis and pneumonia numerous times. So I know what that feels like. I know what chest and respiratory infections feel like. I've had them numerous times. I've had to take antibiotics for them. And maybe that's what it is right now. I hope that's what it is. But it doesn't feel like it. And so I get winded real easy and everything. And so a stint would definitely take that away, those unwanted symptoms. But also then after, you're you're running a risk of, do I have to take like anti-rejection medicine now? And I have to do this and do that? And how long before I have to have it replaced? And you're taking the risk too. Anytime you go under anesthesia to have anything, it doesn't matter even if it's to have your wisdom teeth done. There's can be complications with that. You're going under. So it's just kind of like, do I want to do something that's not going to make a difference anyways, except for the quality of how I'm feeling when it can be addressed anyways with health, different, you know, exercise plans and, diet and I yeah so I, I haven't decided yet I guess I really want to find out still what the answer is because right now I'm still just in the speculation mode and it's been unfair to me because I have been just really open to some friends and family members of doom and gloom and thinking the worst about me and I'm not that type of guy I am that way a lot of times mentally about my mental health or and I'm anxious. I'm just kind of an anxious person. and But I'm not a hypochondriac. And, you know, I do get man flu and all that crap. And I usually, if, if I'm going to stub my toe, I'm going to stub it harder than somebody else would because that's just my luck. So I'm like, uh, if I overreacted a lot, my my friends and family would be like, here we go again. What mystery illness did you Google today? And they're not saying that, but in that same sense, I don't have that white coat and I don't have that education to to say, hey, I'm in heart failure. Hey, I have, well, I know I have cardi you know, some calcium buildup. That's a fact. But I don't know that my heart is failing. You know, even though I have all the symptoms that are shown and my lab results now, and I can put those in instead of me just googling what I think it might be I'm like here's the name of it here's the numbers what do those numbers mean and this little magic box tells you speaking of that I am also once again barefoot which I like to use that term barefoot means I am not plugged into anything like my heart my hardware of my roadcaster pro 2 
my good Rode Pod mic, my good NTS headphones, all my fancy equipment that I have, and I usually have my computer all fired up and my tablet open with all my fun facts and or things written down just kind of keep me on track. But I'm just using my phone, just using the Apple phone right now, the way I started out making podcasts, real simple. Once the move's over, I'm going to uh, have everything all back to the way it was. And But this is easy. It's simplified. Okay, where was I talking about? I was saying something about being... I can't remember. Just, I'm not sure what to do. And then on that same sense about, yeah, exercise and diet can change it too, but also medicine. And so I'm taking so many, so much medicine right now for my mental health that I, oh, you know, it's, it's frustrating to feel like you're going to a pharmacy every time you open the cupboard to take your medicine, but it's also frustrating to feel like crap and to struggle. So it's worth it. And the, a lot of reasons why I go non-compliance with my medicine is because of those reasons. It's the adverse effects or it's overwhelming or even getting prescriptions filled. Just for an example, right now, I'm not getting like refills. They're only like for 30-day supplies. So I have to always contact my health provider, my mental health provider, leave a message for the nurse. The nurse has to then in turn contact the my medical my mental health doctor and then they call it into my pharmacy so I do all that and then I get a call back from the nurse telling me that one of my meds which the one of them I need them all but one of the main ones my my she tells me that my insurance decides they don't want to authorize it I need authorization they'll only fill it a day at a time not a month at a time day and I'm like really and she goes yeah and I'm like well I got it filled last month the insurance didn't have it but I'm taking 80 milligrams of this certain medication and the pharmacy's given it to me in 40 milligrams so I'm taking two of those to make the 80 and they do come in an 80 milligram tablet but for some reason, either the pharmacy doesn't have it or they're not offering it or whatever. So that was some kickback from my insurance in the first place. They didn't want to honor it the first time. But I also am enrolled in GoodRx, and I never thought I should be. I didn't know. I see the commercials, and I'm like, I don't know anything about that. And this is not a plug for them, but it's just my mental health doctor said, hey, have you ever used them? And I'm like, no. I didn't. Why would I? I have good insurance, you know, I, she goes, well, try it. It might save you money. Well, holy moly, donut shop, does it save me money? So most of my meds go through my insurance, but this particular one that got flagged by my company that said they wouldn't pay for it, last month it was done through GoodRx. So a $3,000 medicine for 30 tablets is $3,000. Yeah, you heard that right my friend in Canada or anybody across the pond or anywhere else in this world besides America, 30 pills for mental health is three, just almost $3,000. I'm rounding it up just so we can work with even numbers. But with my insurance, doesn't want to pay unless it's 80 milligrams. And GoodRx will cover me 
at 40 milligram tablets, so I just take two of them a day. And so instead of paying 3,000, it's like $33, $33, not 3,000, 33. So it's good to advocate for yourself too with medicine because one of my times I went to get them filled and they all five or six of them were one price and the next month they were different. And I was like, how is this different? And then I start looking, I'm like, well, some went through my insurance and some went through GoodRx. And so I asked them, hey, you know, and they're like, kind of like put out by it. And I'm like, well, I realize there's quite a few to put in, but if you could, like every cent counts nowadays. It always has counted, but especially nowadays where you really have to make sure that you're on top of it. And so the kid just ended up saying to me, well, it looks like it's cheaper through insurance. And he's looking at the little magic box and I'm over behind the counter, helpless of just taking his work. And I said, well, it looks like it or it is. And he's like, oh, well, it is. I'm like, okay, well, that looks like it and it is, is a big difference. And I'm like, I'm not trying to cause any issues, but I'd rather have, even though I have my primary insurance, I am enrolled in GoodRx and I'd rather pay the cheaper of the two. So I have to now every month, once my doctor calls it in, in turn call the pharmacy or have my doctor tell the pharmacy when she calls it in, put all these medicines through this way and put this one through this way. So what I need is my, I just need my doctor to write me a prescription for more than, or for instead of zero refills. Because my pharmacy will let me know every month with a text message when it's time to refill. And all you have to do is type like yes to refill all. That makes it so simplified for somebody who always already struggles with taking their meds because it's a hassle or you start feeling better, you don't want them anymore, or even the hassle I had to do with today. So I dealt with that and I also, so I get home, I get all my meds, I finally rectify that and I'm looking through them, putting them all, preparing them all and I have to label them with a pen so I know because my vision is so terrible and I put like a black Sharpie so I can be like, okay, two of these, one of these, one of these and then I have it all in my Apple phone too that reminds me and all these things so I stay, become, you know, stay a good patient and be active with my health care. And all of a sudden I'm looking through and I'm missing another one of my major doses. They give me one for 150 milligram, but I'm also lacking my 300 milligram one. So I look through, I'm like, well, before I call the pharmacy, did my doctor call it in? I have to go through, you open up this app, this app. Thank goodness you don't have to remember passwords as much as you, you used to. But on some of my apps, I still have to manually put it in, which doesn't sound like a hassle. But when you feel like you've got a billion things going on anyways, and you already struggle with like, just kind of, kind of with everything, and then you feel like you're just being challenged with everything, it's like easy to just want to give up on things like that, where you're like, okay, I give in, let me just forget about it. And do something else. And I'm like, no, I've got to stay on this. So let me, yeah. So she did call it in. So I just end up calling Walmart back because that's where my pharmacy is. And I get a hold of the kid. They all know me. And the kid answering the phone, he's super nice. You know, he's a good kid. And I ask him about it. And he goes, oh, it just looks like we had a little burp in our computer system. So yeah, the we can fill it. And I'm like, all right, well, 
my concern is I'd like to have it filled today because if it doesn't get filled today, I'm one day off on all my other medicine and then I'm going to be like calling one day for these meds and one day just for this. And he's like, oh, no, if we, it will get filled today. And uh, even if you don't pick it up today, you have plenty of time. And I'm like, right, I'm not out of meds yet. But he goes, it gets your, it will be built through your insurance company the day that we fill it, which will be today. So I was like, so thankful for that and glad that I advocated for myself. And it's easy to stop advocating for yourself and that's what I mean. I feel like I've been challenged with my health, mental health, my physical health, from the treatment difference of being in eight days in an inpatient of mental health to the treatment I'm getting for physical health. It's just so different. It's like night and day. It's just, it is what it is. You know, you've heard me talk about that before, but people can say it's, oh, oh no, it's not. It's not until you experience and live it like I have as long, you know, we all have our own thing. So maybe you have two, but I can tell you right now from my experience, the way I look at it and my experience, you are treated completely different. And also since now I'm being so open and honest about my mental health with everybody, I feel free and open and honest and an obligation too to let any doctor I know my history about that. And then as soon as I do though, it feels like this whole demeanor changes. I don't feel it at the provider I'm going to, thank goodness. But I have definitely felt it in the ER. And it doesn't feel good because you're like, well, all of a sudden is everybody started acting different, treat me different. You know, it's like, oh, the crazy guy's here. You know, it's like, come on. And like I said, thank goodness where I go, they don't do that. And they really are caring and work with you and have helped me and that's what you need sometimes and you, you need to not be afraid to ask for help and realize when you're needed and also when you have screwed up and when you're wrong and all those things feel good to just kind of own it just to own it instead of not um I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and all that but there's no sense to regret it and I always want to and I don't want to, but I always do, I mean. And then I'm always thinking about the future. And then what I did in the past, and if I didn't do this, where I'd be, and all this crap that brings you nowhere. I mean, and it's it's kind of like, a lot of times everything's so so complicated, but you're like, is it really that simple? Do all I really have to do live in the moment and not think about yesterday? and not think about tomorrow, and not think about this afternoon. It's like, well, with mental health, I already struggle with that anyways, but now that I'm taking my medicine and my chemicals in my brain are starting to balance out, you have to start or applying those types of mindfulness practices as well. And when I say, oh, is it that simple? Because it sounds so simple, but it's not, but yet it is. Because it's a really simple concept and a simple idea of what you have to do instead of saying, oh, well, there's so many things you have to do to even get on course of feeling better. And it's like, well, some of the greatest thinkers in the world and whatever have said, you know, they, you just got to be right there present. 
It's not what you did. You try to, what you did, maybe you learn from. Not maybe, you learn from. It's what you hope to do. So you can apply that to future things that will happen to you that might be similar, but it's never going to be the same. And I always try to like over-prepare for what might happen to me instead of just whatever happens is going to happen. And I'm living in that constant state of anxiety. You know how there's that fight or flight and mine's always like that flight where I'm like on high alert. You know, I, I'm the guy that can't fall asleep on an, on an airplane. I can't fall asleep in front of all those people and let my guard down. What if something happens? I need my eyes open. Not that I'm afraid of people. Not that I think something's going to happen to me. But I'm like, that primal part of me is like, no, I can't do that. It's like why dolphins, they're like one of the only creatures. They're a mammal. They can sleep with one eye open, and they do it because... They need to, because of predators, they need to stay alert. And so somewhere down my primal part of my DNA bring, you know, upbringing has kept me on high alert and my chemical imbalance it brings it out even more. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm just kind of right playing with that idea right now. That's what this whole podcast always was too, of just like a place for me to practice my thought process, to try to get some wrinkles on my brain to try to talk some things out and get that gray matter working that is just as important as everything else in our body, but we yet forget about. And a lot of times my ideas that I like to play with and talk about might seem bizarre to people or overwhelming to people, but I love going that way. I love thinking... Right now, the idea, my concept, the thing that I've been really playing with idea is that my body and our bodies are just temporary spacesuits, temporary life support systems that are keeping us alive on this planet right now. And we know how many planets are out there. We know what we know of, but they're finding new planets every day. Back when I was a kid growing up, if they found one, it was big news, and now they find them how many times in a day and it doesn't even make the papers because it's endless and countless. It's not endless. Well, it's endless of our human brain. But this life support system, this temporary spacesuit, if you will, is keeping us alive right here for this planet. And we're all giving a spacesuit that's the same, similar, but different in the sense of, of how we learned it and how we learn that program. And they all also, none of them came with owner's manuals. So you're just figuring it out as you go along. And sometimes sensors beep and you, these alerts go off and it scares you and you don't know what to do. It's almost like when that check engine light comes on in your car. Some people ignore it and some people have to address it right away. And also, if you can't address it right away because of financial reasons or whatever, because that's usually the case, that's how life always treats you when everything's really going sideways, expect something to go even more sideways so it can really turn pear-shaped on you because that's life. And some people, once they can't check that check engine light, they still have to keep going with that car, but their anxiety level's even higher now because every time they're get in and turn the key. They're like, 
Is it going to start today? Or is it going to die on the highway? Or is it going to this? Or what does that light mean? I'm afraid to even go get it plugged in and diagnosed. Because what if it's something real bad? And that happens with our temporary spacesuits. I mean, think about our brain. Think about our brain just for a moment. I've said it before. It's the only organ that named itself. It's the only organ that named itself. Maybe it was trying to spell Brian and it just is dyslexic. I don't know. I don't know. That's funny to me, but dyslexia is not funny. Just like anything's not funny, any disorder. We all have different, different issues with our suits. And sometimes our suits give out a little sooner than others. And our suits have, in this life support system, pumps and valves and levers and switches and pulleys and all that stuff. And just like a car, you can buy a car and see somebody else's car and say, oh, that looks just like mine because it's the same make, model, color, year. Could have been made the same day, one VIN number off. But they're not the same car. You might almost try to start it and get in it by accident because it's that close. But it's not the same car. And that same analogy, you can say to somebody, oh, I have a so-and-so. And they're like, oh, I own one. Don't you love it? And they're like, no. I've had nothing but issues with it since I've had it. And you're like, really? I've had mine. Holy cow, I've got like almost 70,000 miles on it with only like minor repairs. And the other person goes, well, once mine hit 25,000, everything seemed to go wrong. And my analogy always, error joke is, okay, it was either made on a Friday or a Monday then. Because I used to be in the car business. And you would say that kind of stuff. You'd be like, you'd hear it from the mechanics. The mechanics would say that. They'd get frustrated. They'd be working on stuff. And he'd be like, oh, what's wrong? They're like, ah, this car. What about it? I'd love to check the VIN because this thing was either made on a Monday or a Friday. It was one of those, I don't want to be here Monday and I can't wait to get out of here Friday days. And you're like, oh, I get it. You know, at first I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I get it now. And so in that same sense, you can drive it the same too. Say the person's like, oh, I drive the same amount of miles. I, you know, the commute's the same, the this is the same. Or the driving habits might be the difference, the this habits. And so maybe that person learned how to drive a car different. And when they accelerate, they go crazy and they jam their foot to the floor. And when every stop they come to, instead of progressively slowing down, they stop immediately. Whereas you drive your car, you're like, well, I accelerate with like there's an egg underneath my gas pedal and I'm trying not to break it. And then I start slowing down or if it's a, a manual car, you start downshifting and get yourself slower before you even have to use the brakes. It's all like a Jake brake. If you've ever heard those big rig trucks that are driving and they're coming into town or in a city and all of a sudden that makes that big weird sound. You're like, what is that? It, Jake brake is the nickname of it, but it helps slow the engine down without applying the brake. 
So you're not wearing on the brakes so hard. So I don't know. I know I'm going all off tangent because I like the idea of a spacesuit better than a car. But the spacesuit idea kind of maybe loses people. But back to that spacesuit thing. So that's the life support system, the suit we're wearing here on this planet. And eventually, once that fails, and since we're all just energy and star stuff anyways, and all made of the same materials of stars that had exploded at the beginning of the time of our universe, we're going to go back to the universe once this suit fails. And then we won't need a suit at all where we're going. Where we're going, the black holes that we hear about and speculate, the supernovas that we hear about, the nebulas and the Milky Way and all those, the sun itself, we can observe up close, free of gravity, free of everything, to start our new journey, our new adventure. Because this one's just this journey, this adventure in this suit. And where we're going next, we might not need a suit. We don't. Where we're going next, we're forever energy. And just, that's the idea what I like to play around with. And I'm glad you were here today and listened to me. I know I went off a little bit on tangents and stuff. And I'm trying to be more consistent. But my health has just been crappy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're moving and so I've been trying to like pack on my good days that I can and get things done and everything's hectic. And so it's not that you guys aren't important to me. You guys are the most important thing out there. It's just like your, your energy that I get knowing that you appreciate my show and you listen to it and you visit my website, which is actually WLOAP.com. There's a little shameless plug. But I just cleaned that up and made it look a little different and more pleasing to my eyes now that I'm like more lucid in my head instead of so crazy feeling. I feel real creative as well. The past couple episodes, my meds hadn't kicked all the way in yet. I was feeling better, but I was still leaning towards the mania. I was pretty, pretty hyper still feeling. I am a little bit slowed down now a little bit more. And I tend to talk a little bit slower when I'm talking to you as well when I'm recording. Just because in real life, I talk real fast. And I know some people, if you if you know me and if you're used to me talking like that, some of the apps, and I think Spotify or Apple allows you to anyways, you can speed it up times one anyways and still understand everything I'm saying. It doesn't sound like Elvin and the Chipmunks. It's just weird at first, but you get it. All of a sudden, you're like, oh. And then you'll start listening to me like that all the time maybe. But my voice will sound different than what you're getting. It would be like if I edited it. Edited it. That's, I hate saying that word. Edited it. <laughs> There's a lot of dead-dead-dead's in there, isn't there? Oh, it feels good to laugh a little bit. I do get out of breath easy, and I've had a couple good days, and it feels good to have good days, and I take the good days when I have them. And just having some of that water weight off me feels good. I just don't have any appetite, so I just... I have this sensation of being full. I feel like I just left a buffet or I just ate a big plate of pasta, which sounds good, but I wouldn't be able to eat it. I eat a couple forkfuls and go, okay, I'm done. 
The only thing that I've been really liking is like Tootsie Pops, Tootsie Rolls. I love Tootsie Roll Pops. They're so good. I don't know why. I'm not a blow pop fan. I was when I was a kid. I liked the bubble gum and all that, but now if I eat a blow pop, I get down to the bubble gum part and then just throw it away. But the bubble gum part starts leaking out the side once you get it and it's like scratchy on your tongue and you're like, I don't like that. What I like is a good blow pop that's yummy, but it can't be like scratched or broken because then you cut your tongue on the sugar candy. There's nothing worse when you're trying to enjoy candy and you, you're like, really? I just hurt myself enjoying a treat? <laughs> it's like the time I sheared a tooth eating Crunch and Munch. And if you don't know what Crunch and Munch is, just Google it. Just Google it. Uh, okay, well, I go off. I go off. <laughs> I'm going off tangents again, and I think I've I've said enough. It was fun. Tell a friend about We Live on a Planet, please. It's one of the best ways, word of mouth, for anything. You know, people that you're with, that you interact with, for the most part, trust your judgment. And if you're enjoying the show, tell them about it. So in turn, they can give me a listen, and maybe they'll tell a friend and tell a friend and something will happen. Wouldn't that be fun and groovy? And you could be like, hey, I've left messages on that guy's show and talked to him, and he still talks to me today. And now there he is with Jimmy Fallon. Laugh if you will. It could happen. And I just used Jimmy Fallon as a reference because he's like today's Johnny Carson, but if you are on his show or talking to him, then you made it. Except for, isn't he been in the news? I don't know. I try to keep away from that negativity. I've been trying to live a positive lifestyle. All right, that's enough of me rambling. Once again, tell a friend about we tell a friend about we live on a planet, and I appreciate you giving me the most valuable gift you could ever give me. And I know it sounds corny, but it is your time because this spacesuit we're living in is limited, and that you're giving me some of this time. I appreciate it. All right, once again. Stay curious and not judgmental. And I will talk to you again real soon. Peace.